Okay, so let me just share with y'all, um, the time of my sermon is one table, many chairs. And uh, I thought it would be, uh, as we, you know, we're going to be in Lent just before, you know, before you, just around the corner. And so I thought I'd take three Sundays and highlight three key events in the life of Jesus as we go launch into the, uh, Lent. So I picked three. Um, we're going to talk about Holy Communion today and the Holy Eucharist and the Lord's Last Supper. Um, we're going to talk about Holy Baptism next week. I'm going to preach on that. And then we're going to talk about the, uh, the Mountain of Transfiguration story. So just kind of let you know where we're headed for the next three weeks. And then we launch into Ash Wednesday and we um, have a beautiful, actually two wonderful services. We'll have a time early in the morning at nine o'clock. You want to come receive the imposition of the ashes in the morning so you can wear the ashes all day. Or if you, at six o'clock, we'll have a worship service on Ash Wednesday as well. So we look forward to that. So so let me begin, and let me just read from the Gospel, Luke. Of course, this story is in, uh, the Last Supper is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, and so we find this, it's a very powerful story. So I thought, well, I'll choose, I chose Luke today to read this particular version of the Last Supper. Here are these words from Luke 22. So when the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took the cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup, and after supper, he said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my body. But see, the one who betrays me is with me, and his hand is on the table. But the sun is going as it has been determined, but woe to that one by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to ask one another which one of them it could be who would do this. This is the word of God for the people of God. Uh, thanks be to God. Amen. So um, a few years ago, I showed this commercial, but I just love this commercial. And it just seems to be appropriate for the title and text for today. So here we go. Well, it's, just, it's 60 seconds. Um, I, hope, I think you'll enjoy it. Here we go. Don't you love Walmart? <laughs> love Walmart. Love that commercial. Uh, the title of that commercial is uh, Many Chairs, One Table. And you know what I love? You know what I loved about there's you know there was no words to that other than the song you know and I I love that you know by the way that song was the, the Young Bloods written in 1967 and think about what was going on in 1967. Uh, come on, people now, smile on your brother. Everybody get together, try to love one another right now. There's such such tension in America in 1967. So I was thinking about that this week. One table, uh, many many chairs. And um, I, I was uh, thinking about, uh, I'm going to actually t share two stories today from Fred Craddock. You know, Fred Craddock is, um, was my professor of homiletics at Emory University. I, I really appreciated Dr. Craddock. He was brilliant. He was, um, I, I think he was considered, actually, um, as one of the greatest preachers of um, the 20th century. And um, I had the privilege to be able to learn from it. And, you know, his, his gift in preaching um, was he was a great storyteller. And so this is one of my favorite Fred Craddock stories. Once upon a time, evidently, Fred was um, early in his beginning of his ministry. He was a preacher. And he was serving a small little rural church, I think it was Oklahoma. 
And um, this was before cell phones, you know, and so evidently there was a big storm, and so um, it was evening church. And so there was, um, they, the people in the small little world community, they had decided they were going to cancel church because the weather was so bad, but there was no way to get word to Fred about they had canceled church. So a couple of the men decided they would go to church and wait for Fred and, and explain to them that they had canceled church that evening. So Fred shows up and walks into the church, and it was empty other than the two men, and um, he noticed that when he went up to the chancellor, he asked them, he said, what are you all doing? And they said, well, we're playing poker. <laughs> and he says, you're playing poker? And he says, and they were playing poker on the Lord's table. <laughs> and then Fred says, you're playing poker on the Lord's table? And they go, well, a table is a table and then Fred said, no, it's not. This is a special table. Because we're celebrating the Holy Eucharist. It's not just any other table. Matter of fact, it reminds us, what I love about our table here is not every table has this, but our table here at New Covenant, it's, um, it's been engraved, these words. Do this in remembrance of me. Can you say it with me? Do this and remember to me. So this is just no ordinary table. This is a special table. This is a table that's been set apart. It's a holy table. I love um, the words from the Apostle Paul about this table. Uh, Paul must have realized that it wasn't meant to play poker on. This is what Paul says about this table. You ready? Let me go over with you again exactly. He's talked to the church at Corinth. Let me go over you with exactly what goes on in the Lord's Supper and why it is so and certainly important. I received my instructions from my master, referring to Jesus himself, and passed them on to you. The master, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, betrayed, took bread. Having then given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he did the same thing with the cup. This cup is my blood, my new covenant with you. Each time you drink this cup, remember me. What you must solemnly realize is that every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you reenact in your words and actions the death of Jesus. You'll be drawn back to this meal again and again until the master returns. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Paul. Let me say that again. You must never let familiarity breed contempt. Uh, this last week, I, well, let me just share you in my little private world. So Monday, I went to the doctor's appointment, had a doctor's appointment. Anybody else go to the doctor besides me? Okay. <laughs> Eight o'clock in the morning. I went and saw my blood doctor. Now, a blood doctor is actually given a title. They call it a hematologist. Um, I'm not that smart. I just call my blood doctor. And so I went to my blood doctor. My iron was a little low. I shared that with you a few months ago. And so they uh, had to do a follow-up. I did that whole infusion thing. I went in multiple times and went through all that. So, uh, so I went in, and um, I thought it was, it was, and let me just share with you what happened that hour real quickly at my blood doctor. 
So I go in and I sign in and put my name, you know how that goes in, and then you have to pay your copayment or blah, 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 blah. So I sit down. Next thing you know, I notice that uh, two of our people uh, who are our church members, they come walking in. I thought, oh, we have this in common. We go to the same blood doctor. <laughs> and so the wife comes over to me and she says, Harold, um, it's so good to see you. She says, make sure you speak to my husband. You know, he's been struggling because he's been on chemotherapy. And so I said, certainly. So when he, he had signed in, she had sat down, I sat down. I actually went, stood up, and I, I greeted him, and we had a nice little talk. And I, I did my best to try to encourage him because, you know, I've never been through chemotherapy. I know it's not a pleasant experience. Matter of fact, it can be a wretched experience. Matter of fact, it can be a pretty hellish experience. And um, so we had a nice little talk. So then they called me back. And, um, I'm, and so listen, here's the interesting thing. When you go see your blood doctor, you're not going to get out without giving some of your blood. This doesn't happen. You're, you're going to have to give it up. So I, I get this nurse who comes in and she's a little jumpy, like me. She's a little jumpy, a little hyperactive. Now listen, it's, I'm okay with having a hyperactive, you know, I'm, I get a hyperactive. I just don't want a hyperactive nurse that's going to stick a needle in my arm. I just don't want that. But that's what I got. So she was, you know, she stuck a needle in my arm to try to get the blood out. And immediately she says, oh my gosh. I said, what? And she says, your, your veins are blowing up. And I said, I didn't know I had veins that blew up. <laughs> yeah, your veins are blowing up on me. I can't get any blood out of you. Oh, I've got to stick you again. Then she turns to me and says, you don't like this. I said, you're right, I don't. <laughs> so she sticks me again and she says, oh my gosh. I said, what's wrong now? She says, your veins are so thin. I said, I didn't know I had thin veins. She says, you got thin veins. It's not coming out. She said, I got a little bit. And then she showed it up, showed me the little bit of blood that she got out of me. And then she calls off to her friend, Francine. Francine, can you come in here and do Mr. Hendren? So Francine comes in. And I turned to Francine and said, Francine, I want you to know something. Three strikes and you're out. <laughs> she did it just like that. I love Francine. <laughs> so Francine took my blood. And next thing you know, she says to me, she says, you know, Mr. Hendren, I noticed when you got up, you're kind of stiff. And I said, well, you know, I, one day I was going fishing and I got run over by a truck. And, you know, I, it's just one of those things. And, I, you know, I'm going to be stiff for the rest of my life. And, and then I, I said to her, I said, you know, Francine, and I went to preaching a little bit. I said, Francie, you know, I was sharing with my congregation yesterday morning, there are two different types of people. There are people who are givers and there are people who are takers. And I said, there are people who feel as if that, once again, that life is a precious gift from God. And there are people who think that they're just entitled to the gift. And then she said to me, well, that's pretty good. And she says, let me tell you about what I preached on. I said, you preached. She says, absolutely. I said, well, tell me what you preach. She says, I talked about the calling of God. I talked to my people about the calling of God, about the great prophets. And when God called upon the great prophets, they always answered the call. And I said, you go, girl. You go ahead and preach. And so we had a great conversation. It was amazing. Now, you can just, once again, you just go from one little thing. And we had this wonderful double dialogue about what we preached about. 
So finally, you know, after we went through all that, then I would go, I finally get to go see the doctor. And so I went to see Dr. LJ and I, I sat down and he says, oh, Mr. Hendra, I've got great news. And he said, went through my list of all the numbers. And he says, your numbers have come up. You're, you're, you're doing great. And I said, praise the Lord. This is great news at eight o'clock on a Monday morning, right? And so I was so grateful. I said, Dr. LJ, thank you so much for being my doctor. I appreciate you. I, I'm so grateful that my numbers are coming up. And he says, but there's one little thing. Now, let me tell you something. They're always going to find one little thing. Can I get amen on that? If I got to preach it, this is the truth. He says, there's just one little thing. I said, well, what's the one little thing? He says, well, he says that, you know, your number should be like at 400, but yours is like at 300. It's not that it'd be really alarmed, but he says, this number has to do with your memory. And I said, Memory? He says, yeah, he says, how's your memory? I said, well, I want to have memory. I said, it's important for me to have a good memory because I'm a preacher and I memorize my sermons. I got to have a good memory. He says, well, you need to take B12. And I said, okay, I can take B12. I didn't know B12 was associated with memory. And, and so I, I said, okay, I could, t- I could do that. So I want you to know, he told me that on a Monday. So I want you to know, I, well, yesterday I went out and actually bought some B12. And the reason why it took me all week is I forgot to get it. And so that's... <laughs> Okay, so, so here's what I learned in that one hour at my blood doctor, okay? The first thing I, I learned um, was that I was relieved that my blood was good. I had good blood. I, I, the second thing I, I was appreciative is that I could, as a pastor, once again, in a waiting room, I could try to encourage two of our people who go to our church, who are members of our church, and try to love them. And, and, and give them hope and encouragement. I was, that was the second thing. The third thing I was really appreciative in that hour is that I had a really inspiring, refreshing conversation with another sister in Jesus Christ, and we had a chance to talk about our sermons. The fourth thing, as I, as I was walking out the door, and I'm being really transparent, I felt a little guilty. And the reason why I felt a little guilty is because I knew that my blood was good, but there were a lot of people behind me and that were about to go get their chemo, and their blood wasn't as good as mine. So I felt a little guilty about that. And the fifth thing had to do was I, and my doctor reminded me, I need to do everything I need, can possibly do to take care of my memory. And Jesus says, and do this in remembrance of me. Can you say that with me? And do this in remembrance of me. Mm-hmm. This uh, Tuesday we had men's breakfast, and um, it was it was different. You know, a men's breakfast we never know kind of what we're gonna have a kind of a melting pot of different people who give devotion. So this week. My friend George Yeager, evidently, I don't know how he worked it out, but we had a, a guy, his first name was Sasha. He was from Russia. Um, and his last name, I have no idea how to, tra- uh, to, uh, to be able to, uh, sh- uh, to repeat it because I can't read Russian. But I do know his first name was Sasha. Guess what? He was a former KGB agent. And so it was an amazing story. And so what was um, intriguing about it, and they go, okay, how does a KGB agent end up at New Covenant United Methodist Church to start talking about Jesus? 
So he, he told the story. He says, you know, he was, a, he was there in Russia. He was actually an orphan. He says the Russians actually, the, the government loves orphans when it comes to KGB, KGB agents. And there's a part about a disconnection with family and they can kind of train you. And so then he ends up, you know, he, he gets married and he has a, uh, a kid and uh, has a couple of children. And, and his, one of his, his daughter was actually going to school and the daughter came home and started talking about her new friend and the new friend was evidently from America, and the new friend's parents were missionary, Christian missionaries. So Sasha, being a KGB agent, thought, I need to check them out. And so um, he befriended them, not them not knowing he was a KGB agent, and he would go to their house, listening to kind of what they were talking about. And then one day, evidently, as he continued to listen to them about their love for Jesus Christ, he became a Christian. Now, this is an amazing part of the story. So then he goes home. And so let me show you that picture of Sasha. And here's a picture of Sasha. And he's smiling. And his wife says, why are you smiling? I've never seen you smile before. What's wrong with you? And he explained to her, she says, I have found the Lord. And then she said, you're not going to believe this, Sasha. I have found the Lord too. Listen to those Christians. I was just afraid to tell you. Why? Because you're a KGB agent. <laughs> An amazing story. So he goes on, he talks about how he got out. To, it was an amazing story how he actually, and it's a long story, but about how he stopped becoming a KGB agent. And then he came to America. Um, he went to seminary. He became um, a teacher. And, and the reason why he became a teacher um, and wanted to get his education is because, and this is, this is what he said. He says, during, um, uh, from 1917 to 1987, for 80 years, there were literally 80 or 200,000 Christian leaders that were actually martyred or actually uh, killed. And he wanted to replace them. So he knew that the way it was exponential. So if he could train other Christians, and then it would be kind of like the Wesleyan movement. It's exactly what happened with John Wesley, right? He started training other pastors to become pastors, and it had a bigger expansion of the kingdom of God. I thought that was amazing. And then, he, and then he talked about, and I thought this was very powerful. He talked about how, one of the, you know, one of, evidently one of the first things that they do when you become a new Christian and you come to his seminary in Moscow, um, can you see that next slide? This is what they do. They wash each other's feet. And which is very interesting to me because, by the way, I, I want you to understand something. So in John... We don't have the Lord's Supper like we have in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We have the Eucharist in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But in John, it's a little bit different. John puts the emphasis on the Last Supper, and he doesn't talk about the bread and the wine, um, but he does talk about washing people's feet. John. Jesus was showing them how to be servants. So we find in Matthew, Mark, it's almost like you get the best of both worlds. So you got Jesus showing the disciples how to love, but in John, you've got Jesus showing disciples how to serve. That's amazing to me. So then I started thinking about, it. okay, so 
You know, what are we remembering? By the way, Jesus says, do this and remember it to me. So here's the amazing thing. So remember that he has given us life and another day. Can we amen on that? Remember that he has given us forgiveness. Remember that he has given us salvation. Remember he has claimed us as children of God. I love that. Remember that he has claimed us as children of God. I, so here's my second Fred Craddock story. Once upon a time, Fred Craddock was um, in a little bitty um, town near Gatlinburg, Tennessee. And, and so he was sat down and he was in a restaurant and he was having a, a small um, intimate uh, dinner with his wife and really didn't want to be bothered. Um, and so all of a sudden he saw this uh, kind of distinguished gray-haired man going from table to table, uh, just talking to people. And he whispered to his wife, and he says, I hope he doesn't come over here. I'm trying to have dinner. Sure enough, he made his way. He never met the guy. He was a stranger. He came up and says, hey, how y'all doing? And he says, well, and Fred says, we're, we're doing fine. And, and he, he says, where are you from? And he says, well, we're from Oklahoma. And, he, and then he says, well, what do you do? And he says, well, I'm a, I'm a seminary professor. He says, oh, that means you teach preachers how to preach. He says, that's what I do. He says, wait a minute, I've got a great preacher story for you. And he thinks, oh my gosh, we've got another preacher story. This is not, he just wanted to have dinner with his wife. So he pulled up a chair. He says, let me tell you a story. He says, once upon a time, you know, I, I want to share with you when I, my mama had me out of wedlock. And he says, you know, in a small town, that doesn't go real well. People looked at you kind of different. He said, the worst part was when I would go to school. I would go to school and, well, people treated me differently. I'd sit in the cafeteria by myself. I'd go to recess and I'd be by myself. He said, the worst part of, it, of the day was on Saturday when I'd go into town and people would just kind of glare at me and they would wonder who my daddy was. He says, one day and, um, I would go to church, but when I would go to church, I would sit in the back pew so I could get in and get out before anybody would actually see who I, if I was there. One day the preacher saw me. He says he gave the benediction and before he got out to the back door, I tried to get out to that back door because I didn't want to get trapped, but he made the benediction so quickly, I couldn't get out the back door. And the preacher looked at me as a young boy. And he says, hey, boy, who, where are you from? And who, are, who do you belong to? And as soon as he said, where are you from and who do you belong to? I thought, well, my gosh, he's just treating me like everybody else. And the preacher says to him, I know who you belong to. You're a child of God, boy. Get out there and share your inheritance. And with that, the man had introduced himself as by the name, well, his name was Ben Hooper. Fred Craddock said he remembered something from history about a guy named Ben Hooper from Tennessee. He says there have only been two governors in the great state of Tennessee that were considered children out of wedlock. And one of them was a man by the name of Ben Hooper who made his way all up to be governor of Tennessee. What I love about that story is that we all are children of God. Can I amen on that? 
We should claim our inheritance. We're all children of God. Uh, well, you know, it remind, when I read that story this week, and I've read it before, I, it always takes me back to that children's song. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Y'all know that? You remember it. Now, what you probably don't know, there's a second verse to that. It's great theology. Jesus died for all the children, all the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Jesus died for all the children of the world. I didn't know that. I only knew the first verse, but there's a second verse. By the way, this tune was written in the late 1800s. It was written during, actually, in the midst of the Civil War, and it was written to a tune as the soldiers went off and marched to the war. And it became a children's tune and a children's song. Not only Jesus loves the little children, but Jesus died for all the children, all the children of the world. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. He reminds us today that we're all children of God. It's amazing what we can remember. You know, I think about my childhood, and uh, I, re- I remember, like, um, I, one year, I think it was in fourth grade, my, my teacher said, you know, we're going to memorize a poem. Everybody has to me- go, go find a poem, you're going to memorize it, you're going to recite it to the, co- to, the, the, to the class. Well, I, this is, I, could, I was really good at memorizing. I, I, I could do that. But standing in front of a class, that freaked me out. Public speaking was not my forte. Can you imagine that? <laughs> I memorized a Robert Frost poem, The Dust of Snow. The way a crow shook down on me, the dust of snow from a hemlock tree has given my heart a change of mood and saved some part of a day I had rude. I, I learned that as a kid. It's amazing what you remember. You know, it's interesting in life, and I, I, I really believe this, that I, I, I think about our, as we pass through life, I think they're what I would call they're important days and they're impactful days. Two different ways of looking at life. Uh, an important day. So an important day would be like your birthday or an anniversary or some kind of, something like that. Has anybody, has anybody besides me ever forgot one of those important days? Believe me, Mrs. Hendren has reminded me when I've forgotten one of those days, like our anniversary. I would strongly suggest not to do that. I would call those important days. But then there are impactful days that, that are just kind of etched in our memory, right? We don't want to forget them. We, 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 well, you can't forget them. There are some days that maybe we would want to forget, but there are some days that we, we, we treasure. For example, um, uh, there are important, impactful days like, oh, like Pearl Harbor Day, um, the day that JFK uh, was assassinated. I bet, I bet you all there are people in this room who remember exactly where they were when they heard that news. The day that Martin Luther King was assassinated. Uh, the, the, day, um, the day that Ronald Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down these walls. The, at 911, 9-11. Those are important days. They're not just important days. They're impactful days. They've impacted our lives. I, I, I can think about my own life, about specific impactful days. So, for example, um, my impactful day was when, my, when I got called to the ministry, got knocked off a lawnmower. 
I, I still remember that. I, I, remember, I remember when I, got, when I finally graduated from seminary and I, the first day on the job as being a minister, and I literally had to step over homeless people in order to get to my office in downtown Miami. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. My um, impactful day, the day that I was married, the impactful day that when our first child was born, impactful day when my little granddaughters, I, I, these are impactful days. They, they've shaped my life. We all have important days in our lives, but we've had, we have impactful days that are etched in our memories. These are, they're, they're, some of them are good memories, some of them aren't so good. But we remember. Uh, do you remember as a kid growing up, um, having dinner together? I remember, you know, I remember the, 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 the table. I remember we had, we had a kitchen table and my mom sat in one place, my dad sat in one place and I sat in one place and my sister sat in place. We all had assigned seats, right? My mom always sat closest to the kitchen. She said, hey, where she should get up, do all that she did. And then, and then we would have, we had the kitchen table, but on the big days, Sunday was a big day. We would have, we would go to the dinner table not the kitchen table, but we would have to go to the dining room. We had a dining room. And, and so we, and my, and my mother would always fix your story. I, I've shared this with you before. My mother always had pot roast, potatoes, and carrots. And we had it every Sunday. And I said to my mother one day, mom, do you think that we could sh- maybe um, switch this up a little bit? And she said, no, we can't. It's just the way it is. We're Methodists. We have pot roast. This is what we do. So I remember, I remember the kitchen table. I remember the dining room table. And the other, two ki- the other two tables were important to me. Are you ready? Were two picnic tables. And the two picnic tables were when I, we would leave Lakeland, Florida, and we'd go up to Kentucky. And um, somewhere between Lakeland, Florida, and almost to Atlanta, or on the other side of Atlanta. I don't remember. But this is before. Can you imagine life before McDonald's at every exit? And we would take a picnic because there wasn't a McDonald's at every exit. So my mother would always have pimento cheese sandwiches. We would always, she would always fry some, we always have cold fried chicken. We'd have, we would have some potato salad. It was all in that really old Tupperware. My mother had a wet washcloth. My mother always had a tablecloth, same tablecloth, did a year in, yeah. I remember... I remember the picnic table. And the second picnic table, it was when we finally got to Kentucky and we sat around the picnic table at my Aunt Ruth's house and it was the greatest meal of the year. And the reason why it was the greatest meal of the year is it was just like that commercial. My family came from high and low from the high heels and everybody came and sat around that picnic table. I'll never forget that. Those are the greatest memories of my life, sitting around that table. You know, uh, it's interesting that Jesus has, uh, I call that Herald Talk. Jesus has um, table, uh, uh, Jesus had his own table talk. What's about Tommy tells this story. Uh, it's in the gospel, Luke, the 14th chapter. It's classic Jesus. Uh, Jesus tells his parable. He says, once upon a time, there was a master who had, he had a great banquet, great banquet, and so um, he invited uh, these distinguished guests, 
and the distinguished guests didn't want to show up. They made all kinds of flimsy excuses. He prepared the banquet, but no one wanted to come. So then Jesus says, in his infinite wisdom in telling the story, he says, hey, tells the, the servants, hey, listen, go out to the highways and byways. Go find the rich and the poor and the lame, the leper. Go find them and bring them because we're going to have, we're all going to sit around this table. And, and so the, the point of that story is everybody is invited to the banquet table, but not everybody shows up. We're all children of God. So Jesus says, hey, listen, don't forget this table. I mean, this is not any ordinary table. This is an important table. My friend, I, I, I think there's a connection here. And let me, you all might think I might be reaching here, but there is this one little phrase in um, the 23rd Psalm. Y'all with me? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Let me give you one word, Judas. I never thought about that. The, the connection between the 23rd Psalm, thou preparest a table for me in my presence and my own enemies, and this table, Jesus, how it all kind of, kind of weaves together. I, I think it's really powerful. And, and so when you get to the story, and by the way, Jesus, um, his, the, the Gospel of Luke, the ninth chapter, the 51st verse says something like this. And Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. Why is that an important piece of, ver piece of scripture in Luke? It's because ultimately Jesus knows when he sets his face towards Jerusalem, he's gonna go there and he's gonna die. That's important. It's a detail. And we know that Jesus made his way from, well, probably from Galilee, made his way all the way down toward Jericho. He hooks up with a guy named Zacchaeus. You remember that? Zacchaeus, a wee little man, wee little man was he? And converts him. And he finally gets to Jerusalem, makes his way to Bethany. Who's he know in Bethany? Well, he has the best friend there. His name is Lazarus. He raises him from the dead. He also has two sisters, Mary and Martha. So we have that part of the story. So then Jesus finally rides in on Palm Sunday. This is an important day. This is not any ordinary day. This is an impactful day. It's something that should be etched in our memory. So Jesus writes, and what I love, what I think is so powerful, folks, about this part of the story is so they, they want to crown Jesus king on Palm Sunday, but come Friday and, well, Thursday night he's arrested, but come Thursday, Friday, he's a criminal. He goes from a king to a criminal in four days. So he rides in, they hail him, uh, you know, Jesus save us. Now, hallelujah, they, they hail him as king. Uh, um, and so then what's very interesting, so Monday, Jesus begins to, begins to alienate people, he turns over the money changers table. And they're all looking at him, what is this guy doing? Is he off his walk, rocker? And then come Tuesday, oh man, this is, then Jesus gets really goes to meddling because he starts calling the Pharisees and all their religious establishment hypocrites. He says, hey, do what the religious leaders tell you to do, but don't do as they do, for they are like the blind leading the blind. Well, you think he won a lot of friends that day. So he begins to alienate all these people. So come Thursday night, we find ourselves at the Lord's Supper. Now, listen, what's interesting, let me give you a timeline, right? Let me teach for a second. So at 12, probably around 12 o'clock on that Holy Thursday, 
By the way, um, we also call it Holy Thursday, but we also call it Maundy Thursday. And the reason why we call it Maundy Thursday is we get the word Latin, means mandate. And what's the mandate? The mandate, Jesus says, hey, listen, I want you to love just as I have taught you to love. That's the mandate. Okay, so then at 12 o'clock, he turns to two of his disciples. He says, Pete, John, I want you to go and prepare, get the Passover ready. This happened around noon. Uh, you're going to find a guy um, who's carrying water. Go find him, and he's going to have a place for us. Now, that was very unusual. As you heard me teach before, the guy was probably in a scene. His scenes were celebrate because men did not carry water. Um, women carried water. So the only reason how this guy, we think he was in a scene, is because he was carrying water. He didn't, have a, he didn't have a wife. There wasn't a woman in his life. So Jesus had this relationship, evidently a friend, as in a scene. About three o'clock that we find, if you go through the timeline, is that this is where the lamb would have been chosen and they would have gone to the temple and sacrificed and the blood of the lamb would have been poured out on the altar. They take the lamb from the priest and they take it and they go back to prepare the lamb. It takes about three or four hours to roast the lamb. Seven o'clock rolls around and they all gather around the table. Y'all still with me? Okay, so they gather around the table, and all of a sudden, what's very interesting is that Jesus begins to talk about his blood being shared and his body being broken. And do this and remember something. And they're thinking, wait a minute, this is supposed to be a celebratory meal. I mean, this is when, this is to be celebrating the 400 years that the children of Israel were in bondage and then the God finally rescued them. This should be, we should be celebrating. Jesus, don't be talking like this. And then there all of a sudden, Jesus begins to reveal this whole part of the story. And it goes from not only a celebratory meal, but it becomes a confliction in the meal because they started thinking about, wait a minute, Jesus has already talked about his kingdom coming. Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom? A dispute also arose among them as to which one of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Luke 22. So we got this tension going on in the room. And the Last Supper, it's supposed to be a celebratory meal. There should be a celebration in the meal. It should be, well, we got conflict in the meal. And then we got betrayal in the meal. We got a lot going on. Now, listen, let me teach for a second. And I'm going to wrap this up. I I, got to share this with you. Now, listen, the other day, um, actually, I was in, in the Holy Land on March of this last year. My friend, Joy Johnson and Daryl, were in the Bethlehem store. It's a gift shop, shop where we go whenever we go shopping in, in Bethlehem. It's their, their most important thing is they sell olive wood. So Joy comes over and says, Pastor Harold. I said, what, Joy? She says, come over here. I said, what's going on? She says, I'm thinking about buying this piece, but I want to make sure that it's authentic. I said, looks authentic to me. No, 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 no. I mean, does it, is it really the way that it was? And I, I said, Joy, I can tell you from my own historical background, the, the, the way this table is shaped in this particular um, rendering of the Last Supper, it is authentic. So, um, so she buys it, has it shipped back. And I called her up this last week and I said, Joy, do you know, do you think that you, could we just borrow this for my kind of my visual aid for this week's message because I'm going to be talking about Last Supper. And she says, Pastor, I'd be honored to have that. And so her and Daryl brought it down um, Wednesday and I'm standing right back there. And then she says to me, you ready? She says, Pastor, 
I said, what, Joy? She says, I feel convicted. I said, what do you feel convicted about? She says, I feel convicted because not many people are seeing this at my house, but I want everybody to see it. I'm going to give this to the church. I said, wow. Then I turned, I said, Joy, do you really want to do that? No, no, I do. I feel convicted. And I turned to Daryl. I said, Daryl, are you really good with that? And he looked at me and gave me that look. He says, whatever she wants. I'm thinking, you're a smart guy. (laughs) Whatever she wants. And they also said, Harold, make sure you preface it by saying, God gets all the glory. So listen, this is different from Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper. Matter of fact, can you put Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper up? This doesn't look anything like this. Leonardo da Vinci didn't quite get it right. Matter of fact, if you, can you go to the next slide? This is really what it really would have looked like. The Last Supper is in a U shape, just like this. And by the way, can you put that next slide up? Here's the scene arrangement. And this is where I'm, my last part of my message today. You ready? Jesus would have been sitting here. John would have been sitting here because it talks specifically about the disciple that he loved. And the disciple he loved was a guy named, we know him as John, leaning up against Jesus. Jesus says in the midst of, and he says, one of you going to betray me tonight. He says, it's the one I dipped the sop in or the, the, the bread in and hand it to, Judas. Guess what? Judas is in the place of honor. Host. John, place of honor. And here's the great part. You ready? Guess where Peter is? He's way over here in the last seat. And how we know that is because it, when, when Jesus says, one of you all going to betray me, we know that probably the, there's a detail that Peter's motions to the one that he loved and says, hey, what's he talking about? Amazing. There's a little conflict between exactly why Peter is actually in the last seat. And I think the reason why Peter is in the last seat is because I think it's, well, to teach maybe Peter a lesson because Jesus talked about the first shall be last and the last shall be first. That's an amazing part of the story, isn't it? So here, here's my last little part for the, um, my little teaching moment. It's, I think it's really powerful um, that Jesus put Judas in the place of the honor. And he knows he's going to stab him in the back. It just reveals something about the integrity and the goodness and the love of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. So then I started thinking about, and here's the last one. I started thinking about the idea of what happened? I mean, we all have come, I mean, we're all coming to the table today. We are on many chairs, one table. But what's really powerful is when the disciples came to the table and they were at one table, they all had to get up from the table. And what happened when they got up from the table? Peter denied him. The other disciples deserted him. And Judas betrayed him. And so my question for us as we depart these doors in the next five minutes What kind of Christian are you going to be when you walk out these doors and you get up from the table today? Hmm. So I'm on my run this morning and I decided this is how I was going to close my sermon. And I don't know why, but I just decided I was going to close my sermon this way. Here's how I'm going to close the sermon. Jesus loves the little children. 
All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Do you remember that song? If you don't remember that song, there's a store right down the road. It's called Walmart. And they sell lots of B12. (laughs) 